In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we pick up today right where we left off last week in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And if his words last week were hard, these are even harder. Jesus said, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Not only are these words hard, but we might even think them unhealthy in some sense. Love your enemies, those who curse you, who abuse you, strike you, who steal your coat. He says, love those who not only don't love you, but who actively wish you ill. Furthermore, don't judge, don't condemn, just forgive and give. Now, it doesn't strike me as healthy advice that we would normally give to someone, does it? and particularly someone who is already vulnerable or oppressed. But as Suzanne Guthrie has said, the readiness to forgive, readiness to love, readiness to show mercy is not the same as acquiescing to evil. Rather, authentic forgiveness takes work and it takes insight. Well, let's take a look at how we can do this by looking at three three different ways of loving our enemy. And those three ways are to love them for our own sake, for God's sake, and for their own humanity's sake. Some of the most powerful lessons in forgiveness and love of enemy uh, that I have ever seen or experienced have come out of the context of Rwanda's genocide I'll never forget a young woman that I met on my very first trip to Rwanda in 2008. Her name is Frida. She's a beautiful young woman, almost exactly the age of my own daughter. I first heard her speak uh, before a group of about 300 people as she described her own personal experience of the genocide, running through the forest to escape the killers, being separated from family members, hiding for days and weeks, hoping not to be found. She was 14 years old at the time and one of six children in her family. Her parents and all of her siblings lost their lives in the genocide. In fact, she herself was clubbed nearly to death and thrown into an open grave with family members and buried. A few hours later, as the men who had perpetrated this horrendous act upon them were sitting by the grave, Frida reached an arm up, having regained consciousness, reached an arm up through the soil, now covering her, and clawed her way out of her grave. The killers thought she was a ghost, and they ran away. Frida spent the rest of her teenage years and into her 20s, traumatized, as you can imagine, filled with rage and hatred toward those who had taken her family and almost her own life It wasn't until she came to realize that her hatred was literally eating away at her own life that she made a decision to search for the killers and offer them forgiveness. She said she decided to do this for her own sake because she simply could not go on living with this cancer of rage any longer. 
She had been inspired by the words of Jesus from the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Frida described the freedom she experienced having offered these men her forgiveness after she found them, which allowed her to carry on with her own life in a way that she would not have been able to do otherwise. She forgave for her own sake. And then there's loving one's enemy for God's sake. There's a 14th century English mystical classic called The Scale or the Ladder of Perfection that urges the seeker to love his or her enemy out of love for God. God loves your enemy after all. Try to see them as God sees them, hoping they will grow in holiness. In it, Walter Hilton, the author, writes, as for your enemies and others who are clearly not in a state of grace, you must love them too, not for what they are, nor as if they were good and holy, but they, for they are not. But you must love them for God's sake, hoping that they will become good and holy. You are not to hate anything in them except whatever it is, whatever is contrary to righteousness. And then there is loving for the sake of the other, the enemy, for the sake of the humanity of the other. When you decide to love an enemy, forgive someone, you not only free yourself, but also set free the person that you are loving to grow, to change, to mature. It's hard to see hurtful people in the light of their own humanity. Sometimes it takes, in fact, a revelation almost. Thomas Merton famously had such a revelation in his Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. In it, he writes these words about an experience he had. He says, in Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut Streets, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being human a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me. Now I realize what we all are, and if only everybody could realize this. But it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around and shining like the sun. Then it was as, as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. I remember hearing Frida talk about the change that took place in the men who had murdered her family once she offered them her forgiveness. 
Just as she had been filled with rage and hatred, they had been filled with guilt and shame, not knowing how to possibly atone for their sins. Her act of forgiveness allowed them to begin their own journey to wholeness and redemption. What they all discovered was a basic humanity that they all shared, she and they, but that had been interrupted in the chaos of genocide. They each had to recognize that there was more to the other than their worst actions on the worst day of their lives, that there was a basic shared humanity in all of them. When we talk about forgiveness, we often wonder whether we then must also forget. Yes, you have to forgive, but must you also forget? On one level, it is simply not possible to forget when you have been wronged by an enemy. Desmond Tutu and his daughter Mfo Tutu wrote a book together a few years ago titled The Book of Forgiving. In it they say this, some find forgiveness difficult because they believe forgiving means forgetting the pain that they have suffered. I can say unequivocally that forgiving does not mean forgetting the harm. It does not mean denying the harm. It does not mean pretending the harm did not happen or the injury was not as bad as it really was. Quite the opposite is true. The cycle of forgiveness can be activated and completed only in absolute truth and honesty. Forgiving requires giving voice to the violations and naming the pains we have suffered. Forgiving does not require that we carry our suffering in silence or be martyrs on a cross of lies. Forgiveness does not mean that we pretend things are anything other than they are. Loving our enemies is not something we do lightly or without great struggle. To do so would be a form of masochism or self-hatred and therefore detrimental to our own well-being. In the book of forgiveness, of forgiving, the Tutus acknowledge this difficulty of forgiving. For those burned by betrayal, those who have had violence done to them, they've been stolen from, slapped on both cheeks, coat, shirt, shoes stripped, they offer a prayer that I'll leave you with today. It's titled, The Prayer Before the Prayer. I want to be willing to forgive, but I dare not ask for the will to forgive in case you give it to me, and I'm not really yet ready. I'm not yet ready for my heart to soften. I'm not yet ready to be vulnerable again. Not yet ready to see that there is humanity in my tormentor's eyes, or that the one who hurt me may also have cried. I'm not yet ready for the journey. I am not yet interested in the path. I am at the prayer before the prayer of forgiveness.